0: Good morning, everyone. Um, today, I will be reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 28 to 37. At the end of this reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond with thanks be to God. Verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal place of ba- palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the yorks. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an internal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Temisa. And good morning to everyone. How are you all doing? Uh, Nice to see you. Thank you for coming, especially if you are coming here for the first time. It's really great to have you. My name is Femi. Can I just pray before we start? Uh, Lord, we want to commit this word into your hand. I particularly need this particular sermon. And I just ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Okay, so if you're coming for the first time, you've not been here in a while, we've been doing a series, a sermon series called Idols and the City. And it's really um, because Christians believe in one God, and so essentially, and also believe that every human being worships something. So if you're not worshiping that God, you're worshiping something else, and that something else is called an idol. And that idol um, puts, they, they exert enormous power on how, um, how we shape our lives and the things that we do. So we said, look, in the city of Lagos, there are three big idols. And the first one, money. And we, treat, we had, um, I think, five, 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 five sevens on money in the month. Yes, five, have you? Five summons, Five summons of money in the month of September. And I think we then did four summons on the next one, which is sex, in the month of October. And now we're about to start on power. So let me start by asking us to please, under my authority, can we all shut our eyes? Close your eyes, please. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. All right, forget the authority part, right? Now you feel manipulated. But I just want to ask you one question as you close your eyes. What's your proudest achievement in life until now? What's your proudest achievement in life until now? Now you can open your eyes. For some of us, as you're thinking about that, it will be in the category of academics. Maybe you got a first class, or maybe because of the circumstances that you are faced with. The people that are rejoicing with first class and you that got your tutu, you are like, hallelujah. Or many of us, I think, though, it would be vocational. If you are a business owner, you probably are so proud of the business, a sustainable business that you've built over years. Maybe if you're into uh, coding, computing, maybe you finally cracked a particular computing code. If you're into, if you're creative, maybe you've absolutely uniquely performed, you've, you've created a new design or a new font. Like Tomoa created a new font. Right? How many of you have created a new font? You choose your font. Tomoa created a new font for City Church. Or if you're like Yemi, you probably uh, uh, solved the macroeconomic problem. Uh, if you're like Francis, you probably conquered a monumental engineering feat. Or if you're like Faye, you probably made a single transaction that met your year's budget. What is your proudest achievement? Now, some other people would put it, it would be relational. Maybe you've raised kids that everybody talks about. Uh, I've not seen that person here in City Church, right? Or that everybody talks about positively. Everybody talks about all the kids in City Church, and believe me, it's not positive. Apart from my own kids, obviously. Um, But relational, another one could be if you're like me. If you're like me, my biggest achievement was a couple of years ago, I saw someone at a conference. I saw my, you know, spiritual conference, but the person passed by me, and I know my eyes should have been up into heaven, but it was firmly on the ground because I said, "Man, this is a babe. Like this woman is a. Babe. I mean, just look at her, wonderful. And I was like, "Man, it would be nice. So if I could, uh, you know, have something with her." Maybe possibly marry her. Well, we got on talking, and eventually we started dating. Four months after, but my proudest achievement was when she said yes, she will marry me. Now I knew I—I I, I, I was like, ah, ah. Look on the wedding day, on the wedding day when she came in, I said, "I'm a bad guy." <laughs> I was like, look, just look, I'm a bad guy. I for many of you. With your proudest achievement, that was it. Man, look at the way that code is running. Or look at this thing I built. Or look at that design. Or look at th- this transaction. Now, some of you that work very, maybe in, look at this. Like, if you are like, here, look at this policy, policy. You know some people like policy. I don't know how. But when you were thinking of your best achievement as you closed your eyes, how did you feel? You also felt like, I remember that thing, and I'm a bad man. If that's how you felt that is perfectly understandable and is deeply problematic. It's because that's what this whole sermon is about. The character that we're really exploring found himself also in that sense, in that place of achievement. What's the context? We're not really, well, it's, it's a certain of children of Israel, but the children of Israel are not in Israel. They have now been exiled in a place called Babylon. And Babylon is being ruled over by a guy called Nebuchadnezzar, probably their most famous king, most powerful king. He was a warlord, he was a successful general, conquered many kingdoms, but also he was a visionary, a leader, so that not only had he won a lot of wars, he had built this wonderful city. But he had one problem. He worshipped the idol of power. And one of the things we'll see is that the idol of power, when mixed with achievement, leads to pride, which in turn leads... To profound inhumane behavior. On the other hand, we would learn that whereas the worship of the true God through the gospel of Jesus Christ grants us humility, which leads to the humane use of power and a right view of our achievements. So I want, to look up, I want us to look into this sermon with titled Power and the Beast, and we'll explore it under these three subheadings one, bestial power. Two, Sovereign power, and three, humane power. Bestial power, sovereign power, and humane power. So let's start with the first one. Um, I have a picture I wanted to show. Not this gory looking one. No, so the next one. Uh, now that is called uh, uh, Beetham Towers. Betham Towers is the tallest building um, in, U- in the UK. Um, outside of London. Now, uh, I think Phil Neville, has. The, he, he lives in the penthouse of that place. Now, if you go there, I went there once. And it has this, um, And near the top, it has these uh, windows that go t- from the bottom to the ground. And when I stood there, I looked at Manchester. I could see the whole of Manchester, right? I could see people. The people were like grass. I could see cars. They were like toys t- and buildings. I felt literally on top of the world. like they, You know those guys that were in um, the bankers in, in, in London, in the top, the top um, building? They used to call them the masters of the universe. That's exactly how I felt. I felt like I was the master of the universe. OK, master of Manchester, right? I almost said something of like, I'm the king of the world. Look at what I've achieved. Now the truth is, obviously I didn't, I, I didn't achieve anything. But Nebuchadnezzar also had a view from the top. That's what he says in verse 29. He was on the rooftop, he was walking the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And he said something based on his view. He said, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? You know why? Nebuchadnezzar saw great things from the top. First of all, he saw the whole city, and the city was stunning. You see, not only did he it have its temples on the temples. It had many waterworks, canals. There was a famous outer, outer wall of the city. But he also saw one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You know, we only have one existing now, the pyramids in Giza. But you know, things like the uh, Temple of Artemis. But there was one in Babylon. One of the, uh, the, wonders of the ancient wonders of, uh, seven ancient wonders of the world was, ironically, was a pict- it was a present for his wife. It was the hanging towers of, uh, hanging gardens of Babylon. This was something like what it would look like. Imagine gardens of buildings. And not only would he have seen that, he would have seen the palace's arboretum. You know, gardens with different kinds of plants. It was stunning. So permit him if he said, is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. What's wrong with this picture? I mean, really, is there something wrong? Aren't there there fewer things that show the triumph of the human spirit than our ability to build and to achieve things? Should you feel bad about the things that you achieved (laughs) and the things that you built? In fact, it reflects that we are people created in God's image. There is nothing wrong in building a business empire, or a jet engine, or even a political party. We are just living out the fact that God gave us a mandate in Genesis 1:26 to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish and subdue the earth. That's the result of it. No, there's nothing wrong with it. Here's where the problem is with Nebuchadnezzar's picture. The problem isn't with his achievements, but his view on the means of that achievement and the stated purpose of the achievement as well. His view on the means of the achievement and the purpose of that achievement. If you go up to verse 30, notice what he says in verse 30. I have built the achievement by my mighty power, the means, for the glory of My majesty, that's the purpose. Nebuchadnezzar was saying that, I'm the one that did this. Nobody helped me. Nobody. In other words, he was concluding, I am a self-made emperor. Self-made. Well, first of all, let's even take the means. He thought he was the main means for this achievement. First of all, this is an over-exaggeration. In fact, it's a blatant lie. You see, maybe Nebuchadnezzar thought when he was fighting wars that he was like Jack Bauer. Remember Jack Bauer? Remember yeah, when I was 24? I grew up with Superman. Superman, Batman, all of those guys. The problem with them though, they were not human. They weren't really human. But Jack Bauer was human. Right? Jack Bauer fought armies. He conquered people. Nebuchadnezzar was no Jack Bauer. Nebuchadnezzar had generals. He had soldiers. He never fought anyone on his own. In fact, we are told about Nebuzaradan, one of his uh, generals, uh, in, in the Bible. And also, if you have a large empire like he had, you would need wise men and administrators to run it. And let's even take the buildings. If he did not have architects, if he did not have urban planners, if he didn't have builders, if he didn't have gardeners, he could not have this palace and the city and the gardens that he built. It wasn't just by his mighty power, it was by the power of others as well. That's why this myth that we have in our city of the self-made man and woman, the self-made millionaire and billionaire, the self-made sage or guru, it's a myth. It doesn't exist. None of us, no matter how talented we are, ever got to where we are on our own strength alone. And then you have the purpose that he stated. His purpose, this purpose for all of these things was solely for his glory. He says, for the glory of my majesty. Wow. You see, Nebuchadnezzar reminds me, I'm sure none of us are like this. He reminds me of those leaders that like to, you know, the leaders who seek to take the praise for everything and they take the blame for nothing. But none of you are like that, are you? No, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar always wanted to, you see, the problem with the problem with that kind of thinking is that you use your achievement, this, this uh, self-seeking achievement, is that you never, ever are satisfied with the compliments that people give you. What do I mean? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is like, of well, these people are always seeking constant adulation. Maybe he took, I don't know if somebody built a house. Have you ever visited someone that built a house? Right? You go into their house. Like, ah, welcome, welcome, sit down. You know, like, ah, ah you, you don't want to see the uh, the house? You didn't ask them all. Say, so, of course I would. Okay, so let's let's go. Ah, this kitchen. Ah, you're not coming. Say, ah, this is your kitchen. Ah, it's big. Oh, it's really big. You say, yeah, it's it's three times bigger than our former kitchen. <laughs> we can just thank God. God is good. Wow, it's really nice. Floor. Oh, the marble came from Turkey. <laughs> thank you. But who knows about these things? You know, God is just so good to us. Ah. And so you now go down say everything. Like, ah. God. Wow! Yeah, you now go to the bedroom. You want to now say you don't want to go upstairs. You go upstairs. You go into the room. Ah, this room. You know this jacuzzi. I don't even know what I'm going to use it for. But we just had to put it there. You know. Wow! You have a jacuzzi. Yes. Ah, wow, it's really nice. Thank you. What's this person doing? He is fishing for compliments. He keeps asking over and over and over again. When yourself, when you create something simply for your own going, you will never get satisfied with people's achievements. Do you know how we know? Because once, that, once you leave that person's house, you know what the person starts doing? He now starts remembering all the times you say, thank you. And now, fine. Ah, you'll now be telling his wife. Tell me, sir, do you know that he, he spoke about the satin, the satin of our bed. He said he'd never seen anything like that. The guy would not be able to sleep. You'll be thinking about it, thinking about it. After he has finished thinking about all the things that you said, he's put it on multiple replay over and over again, he still needs to be complimented. So you know what he then does? He eventually has to compliment himself. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. By my own power, but for the glory of my majesty. You will never be satisfied with people's compliments. Because pride is all about self-absorption. These people never recognize anybody else, they only recognize the eye. They're the kind of people that when you are sharing your, let's say, oh, well, sharing a success story, you know, ah, I thank God for this thing that he helped me do, this exam that I passed. The next thing is, ah, it reminds me of when I even did my own exam too. You don't know, you know people like that, do you? You can never celebrate someone else's success. They always have to insert, me too, unless you don't you forget. You see, because at the heart of pride is self-absorption. And that's what it says about Nebuchadnezzar in verse 37. Those who walk in pride. And so heaven was angry with Nebuchadnezzar and all self-made people, so-called. And so he was judged to live as an animal, as we see in verse 31 to verse 33. And we'll ask this question, why that particular judgment? Well, here's the reason why. It's a reflection of his heart. Anyone that is truly human, when we behave in the most humane way, we seek the flourishing of other human beings. But when you seek this flourishing of yourself alone, you cease to behave like a human being. The only thing that we can call you is a beast. And so Nebuchadnezzar got the judgment that reflected the kind of heart that he had. That leads me to my second point. Sovereign power. Sovereign power. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's problem was bigger than not just acknowledging other people's help. That was one problem. But it was bigger than that. You see, he had been sold to an idolatrous view of power. An idolatrous power makes us blind to two things. One, the true God, and two, our true selves. Turn to your neighbour and say, "This one you have to do." Turn to your neighbour and say, "There is God." Oh, say, "There is God." Oh. Now here's the problem with another problem in Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the mightiest man on earth, no doubt. He was the mightiest man on earth at the time. He was sovereign over his empire. He had got many peoples under him. But the problem was that that possession of that power has started to make him feel like he was more than human, like he was divine. And that was the problem, because common sense should have told Nebuchadnezzar that, okay, you are ruling over Babylon. Fine, it's the largest empire at the time, but you are not ruling over the whole world. He couldn't conquer Egypt, and you have already started feeling like you're a god. His view of God, of what it means to be God, was really distorted. It was, it was quite frankly, pitiful and limited. It's like people who, you know, this guy has he's built a good business. He's really, really spread his empire. He now has 35% of market share. 35% of market share, and he now starts talking like he's the master of everything in service. Excuse me, uncle, it's 35%. There's still another 65% you don't own. Even if you own 70%. Even if you own 80%. You can't even own 100% of the market share. You don't own own 100% of all market shares, do you? But you see, once we start getting a certain level of huge power, we start thinking we are more than we are. And this was the problem with Nebuchadnezzar. He forgot that even though he was sovereign over his empire, he wasn't sovereign over all kingdoms. As verse 32 is trying to tell us a god should have. And don't forget that if he was truly like a God, he is the one that could give authority and take authority. But Nebuchadnezzar's authority was given to him when his father died. A true God, as we see in Jeremiah 27, verse 5 to 6, is the one that gives authority. And that's where, from a cosmic point of view, Nebuchadnezzar got his authority from. Listen to what God says through Jeremiah With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it. Nebuchadnezzar had never created an animal, let alone a human being. And I gave it to anyone I please. Verse 6, Now I will give all your countries into the hands of my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. This is God speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. But what Nebuchadnezzar was failing to realize is that his authority was given to him by God. That's why when the judgment came, The one who gave him authority was able to take it away, as we see in verse 31. Now your authority, your royal authority, has been taken from you. Nebuchadnezzar's view of God was distorted because he had an idolatrous view of power. And so his God became limited, and that was why it was easy for him to start thinking he was God. And here's another problem, though. When a view of God becomes distorted, do you know which other view gets distorted? our view of ourselves. Pan achievement can make us feel like we are superhuman. That's why we crave and kill for it. How many of us went to university in Nigeria? How many of us had that blessed that blessed opportunity of going to a Nigerian university? Who do you think are who are the people that feel like they are the biggest, like the the most powerful people in universities? Who? Who? Lecture. Lecturers, nah, not lecturers. Not even vice chancellors. <laughs> not even cultists. Forget all those ones that they don't feel like 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 men, I have power. Do you know who it is? You know those secretaries to HOD? <laughs> yeah? Secretaries to HOD? Yeah, those women that you're just going. You're in year one. You're in year one. You want to go and see your result. Excuse me, please. I want to see my... We get out of this place. We're going to see what result. Or oh, You want to see the result. I'll be, come, take this. Um, go and buy. Go and buy kidney for me. Go and buy rice for me. And it's almost similar like that in year two. Year three, you don't really need them. What happens, though, let's say you are doing a five-year course. As you start getting to the end of year four, and you enter year five, when you now go, Ah, auntie, is there HOD around? the ah, around? How are you? <laughs> Why she started being nice to her? Because she knows that her time of power over Owade is what? Is expiring. Owade is about to leave. She may come back, and she may have to give her something. You see, Part of the problem with power is that, and I have your power as human beings, is that it's always time limited. And when we forget that, we start to think like we are gods. Remember Usain Bolt? Whoever saw Usain Bolt in some of his first races, 2007, 2008, when I saw you like, this guy cannot be human. As in, 100 meters, and you are giving people 30 meters gap. In a 100 meter race, the guy was just dusting everyone. And he was winning every, every, there was only one race I saw him actually didn't win. That was the first time was, I think, 2009 World Championships. Yeah, where he was disqual- 2011 World Championship was disqualified. That was the first time. But he didn't run until he saw his final race. How many of us saw his final race? All of a sudden, he looked human. Why? Because human power, no matter how much of it you have, is limited by time. Ruben Abati, another famous name. Who was a special advisor in the former administration? Remember, but he talked about how, when he got into power, his two, his three phones they never stopped ringing. They died; the batteries died just because they were ringing. He said, the day that they lost the election like this, he was looking he was looking at his phone like, call me now, call nobody. Eerie silence. Why? They were calling another special advisor. The time is what limited. Somebody say, touch your neighbor and say, there's time, oh. But there's also death. You see, because power makes us feel, with time, it makes us feel like our power is eternal. But also, power, uh, from an idolatrous view, makes us feel like we are immortal. Let me ask you a question. Where is Nebuchadnezzar now? Uh, Permit me to paraphrase Charles de Gaulle, who said, cemeteries are full of people who thought they were indispensable. Ah, if it's not for me, if it's not for me, this thing would have happened, my friend. <laughs> the world existed before you, and the world will exist after you are gone. We feel like we are invincible, and we aren't, because there is only one who is invincible. And people who feel like they are invincible always oppress the people that are under them. Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, told him to repent. He says in verse 27 of chapter 4, he says, look, renounce your sins by doing what is right, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. People that feel invincible. Bosses will be talking to the people under them as though they own them. Somebody in this uh, congregation has told me that. Somebody once told, I said, I own you because I pay your salary. Really? Small. That person can, may not be your employee another day. I want to make a bit of an excursion here. Because this Nebuchadnezzar thing, it points us to something. Just explore this with me. If every human being scope of power. Let's call that dominion. So the, the, place, the place over which you have sovereignty. If every human being's scope of power is limited by time and death. Always limited by time and death. How is it that this world, that we human beings have dominion over, how is it that this world generally keeps in order? And you understand what I'm saying? That we are all limited by time and death, and yet the world seems to continue And it hasn't gone out of chaos. You say, ah, no, the world seems fairly chaotic. It's ordered. It's a chaos that is ordered. How is it that that happens? Because there have been people that have emerged, evil people in this world, that have emerged that if they had their way, take Hitler, take Paul Pot, if they had their way, most of the human beings that are now would not exist. The world would be going in chaos. And yet that hasn't happened. I tell you, there's a clue there. The clue is that there has to be a power above human power that is not limited in the same way. It's not limited by human power. And that is why that this world continues to go as it is. Now, let me tell you four things that that power will need to have, four things. One, the power must reside in a being that cannot die. So one, that, that power must be immortal. Two. His dominion must span time and space. That is, it must rule over all things and he can't die, so it must rule over all times. So that means dominion must be eternal. Then, to control things the world over, that means that being cannot be controlled. There has to be a being eventually that is not controlled. You know how we have manager, senior manager, so manager controls the people under the non-manager, but the manager has. Senior manager, and senior manager controls all the, and there's general manager. All of them can be controlled. Even the CEO is controlled by the board. Eventually, if somebody is controlling all things, that person cannot be controlled. Do you understand? And then finally, Martin Luther King Jr. says, look, the arc of the moral universe may be long, but it always bends towards justice. In other words, the world would always go towards justice. How can he be sure about that? It must mean that the power that is controlling the world must be a power that always acts right and always acts just. So it must be immortal. Must, uh, the dominion must be uh, eternal. and cannot be con- The person cannot be controlled, and their actions must always be right and just. Where can we find such a person? Well, Nebuchadnezzar, when his sanity now became restored, he looked up to heaven. It says, I looked up to heaven in verse 34. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, not towards what he had achieved. And it was when he looked up to heaven, his sanity was restored. And all these four questions were answered. Number one, he says that the, the, that being must be immortal. Go to verse 34b. He says, Then I praise the Most High and I honored and glorified him who what? lives forever. Number two, that being's dominion must be eternal. And you got go to verse 34 again. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures for generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. Three, he cannot be controlled. Again, verse 35, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then finally, he said, everything he does must be just and he must act rightly. And you go to verse 37. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are. Ah, just. Finally look at your neighbor and say, there is God. Yes. And when this kind of God exists and you boast in your power, th- the conclusion is you are a beast. And never lost all sense of moral rationality. And that is very bestial. But there is a sovereign power that rules over all. That brings me to my final point. Humane power. So in becoming power drunk, Nebuchadnezzar and many of us end up behaving less than human. And the question then becomes, how can we be more human? How can we behave in a more humane way, especially with regards to power? Well, God tells us. And he tells us particularly in the book of John. Now, John is a book that's written by a close disciple of Jesus. It's one of the four accounts of his, that his disciples gave of him. And it's the most personal account. And I want us to see something there by a number above. I'm going to have five different quotations from John. Of how God demonstrates how we, we can be truly human by pointing to a particular human being. So, remember in 4 verse 31, it says this is the judgment of Nebuchadnezzar, it was a voice came from heaven. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, God shows us how to be truly human by his voice, his word, coming from heaven. John chapter 1, 1 to 2 and 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He is God, but he is a different personality in the Godhead. 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that in God, you have Father, God, and Father, Son. Father, Son became a human being. And if He became a human being, when God becomes a human being, we should see what true humanity is about. Well, one of the things we learn about him in chapter 5 of, uh, of John, verse 26 to 27, is that he had great authority. Listen. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. And he didn't just give him any authority. He gave him authority that even Nebuchadnezzar didn't have. We see that in chapter 17, verse uh, 2. He says... For you granted him authority over all people. Over all people. Nebuchadnezzar had authority over some people. This God who had become a human being had authority over all people. And though he had all of that authority, unlike Nebuchadnezzar, he recognized God's own authority over his life. 5 verse 19. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does also. So he had authority. He's God that became a human being. He had great authority, but greater authority than anyone that's ever been. And then he recognized God's Power over him, even though he had this great authority. And what then do you think he used that power to do? He used it not for his own, the glory of his majesty, but for others. Listen to 17.2 again. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given to him. If you had so much power, what would you do with it? Well, this man, Jesus, had all power, and what did he do? He wanted to use it to give people eternal life, people who were power-hungry. He wanted to give them eternal life. How did he achieve this? Later in the life of this Jesus, when you get to chapter 19, he's faced with a guy called Pilate. This Pilate is another powerful person. Now, Jesus was handed to Pilate and to be tried as a criminal by mob power. His people were, they said, crucify him, crucify him. We will take a thief. We don't want him. Now he was going to Pilate, who has state power. More power, state power. And Pilate was now like, huh, I have some things to tell you, because I need you to talk to me. I've heard about you, but you're not talking to me. And then Pilate, in chapter 19, verse 10, says, do you refuse to speak to me? You know this, Niger. Do you know who I am? That's kind of what Pilate was saying. How dare you not speak to me? Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? <laughs> That got Jesus to speak. And when he spoke, he says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And yet, Jesus knew he had power over Pilate. Why didn't he use that power to get out of the clutches of Pilate? And my final quote in John chapter 10, he explains why. John 10, 17 to 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. That is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus' use of his own authority and his power to lay down his life and take it up again so that he can grant power, hungry sinners, the power of eternal life. And that's what he does by demonstrating to us how we should use human power. In the gospel, Jesus uses human power in the way it should be used so that you and I, even those who are hungry for power, can have eternal life. Will you receive it? It's available here, but there's only one way to respond. is the way Nebuchadnezzar responded when his eyes or his sanity had now been restored to him. We know that his sanity was truly restored to him because it wasn't just a particular moment. Some of us have had moments. We say, ah, I had a spiritual moment. Nobody can take it away from me. That's when I knew God. I'm not talking about that moment. Thank God for that moment. What, what are you doing now? Nebuchadnezzar had a moment with God. His his sanity was restored. And then he said, I praised him. I honored him. Verse Verse 34. I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Thank you, Nebuchadnezzar, but I will know if your worship is true if that continues. That is how you repent and believe truly. Now, guess what? Nebuchadnezzar was telling us about a particular experience. But by the time we get to verse 37 he now comes back as a narrator, writing. he says, now, not just at that moment, now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride is able to humble. Do you see? Nebuchadnezzar didn't just have a spiritual experience. Nebuchadnezzar had a spiritual awakening. And the main uh, proof of that is that the worship that, or that he started with, it continued. He first worshipped power, but he had an experience with God, and now he continued to worship the true God. Friends, I want to speak to not just be- those who are not believers. If you are not one, I would, I would say stop worshipping this power of money. Uh, sorry, power. Stop worshipping the idol of power. Because no matter how much you think you have of it, it will never satisfy you, but two, it will lead you to behaving like a beast. But for some of us who say that we are Christians now, how do we feel? How is our worship life? And I'm not talking about when we come here on Sunday. God requires us to worship with all the things that we have, particularly if we are places of influence. How do we use it? Is it in a bestial way, or is it in a humane way? Because when we lay it down like Jesus did in the gospel, you know what God does? He doesn't embarrass us. He gives us the power again so that we can use it in a better way. Nebuchadnezzar in verse 36 says, At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. He got the glory back. Except now that glory was being used for, not for his majesty, but for the one he now glorified. If God gave you the power, will you do it for yourself? Or you use it for him? Is why I city church, we keep emphasizing that we are a community not of thinkers, not of believers, not even of disciples. A community of worshipers. If you found the true God in Christ Jesus, why not worship him with your life? Why not worship him with the influence that you have? You see, when you do that, you would like Jesus did in the gospel, you lay down your power so that you can help others. You will not be concerned when people criticize you. You will not be concerned when people don't compliment you. You will not say that I have achieved all of this by myself. You will say by the glory of God and all those who have helped me. It is then you will not be behaving like a beast, but you will be behaving like a human being. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for feeding us with it. We commend ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you for the places of influence that you've given us, whether it's with money, whether it's in our parenting, whether it's in our places of work. Lord, we ask that you help us not to behave like beasts. Help us, oh God, to behave like human beings and help us to see the true human being who gave us that example and whose power has given us eternal life, Christ Jesus. Help us to do these things in a way that honors you, that consciously glorifies you and helps others. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray